0: So the question is, does God hear our prayers? Does God work in response to our prayers? Do my prayers change my situation or the situation of those that I'm praying for? And are there conditions that must be met as I pray? As the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, opens up, we discover a variety of people praying for George Bailey. George Bailey's friends are praying for him. His mother is praying. His wife is praying. And even his children are praying. And something happens as they pray. Their prayers somehow, someway make their way from earth to heaven to God's ears. And God begins to work in response to to their prayers, but does prayer really work that way? Does God answer our prayers? What does the Bible say? Well, that word prayer is found in some form or another over five hundred times in the Word of God. When you add to that the phrases like "call on me" or Ask Me, you discover that prayer is one of the major topics ever discussed in God's Word. Now, there are many things that the Bible teaches us about prayer. But I believe one of the most important is this. God works in response to our prayers. Now, there are occasions when when God may move in people's lives apart from prayer, prayer. But for the most part, we discover that prayer causes God to act. Over and over again, God's Word makes it clear that when we call on God, He answers. In Jeremiah 33, 3, it says this, Call to me, and I will answer you and teach you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find knock, and the door will be opened to you. He said in John 16, Until now you have asked for, you haven't asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. You see, that's the principle. God answers our prayers. Now, let me give you some biblical examples. In Genesis chapter 20, Abraham prays, and it says this in verse 17 Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. Abraham prayed, and God answered and brought healing to a family. Genesis 25, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. Rebekah was not able to have children. Isaac prayed, and as Isaac prayed, God answered, and Rebekah had some children. She had Twins. Judges chapter 3. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer. They were in bondage to a foreign power. They prayed and God answered their prayer. Ezra chapter 8. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this and he answered our prayer. They were about to make a long journey and they were praying for safety and God answered their prayer. First Samuel one. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord remembered her. So, in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel. Hannah was not able to have children. She wanted children. She was broken hearted, and she prayed and cried out to God, and God heard her cries and gave her a child. 1 Chronicles chapter 4, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. He prayed for God's blessings and God answered and blessed him immensely. 2 Kings 6, and Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened his servant's eyes. Elisha wanted his servant to be able to have the spiritual vision that he had. And he prayed for that. And his servant was able to see in the spiritual realm what Elisha was able to see. Psalms chapter 32, then I acknowledge my sin to you. And did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. David had sinned a terrible sin. He had committed adultery. He had tried to cover it up. Eventually he killed the woman's husband or had him killed. And and now he was overcome with remorse and anguish and conviction. And he prayed to God and asked God to forgive him. And God heard his request and forgave his sin. Acts chapter 9. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. Peter went into where a woman was dead. He prayed over her. God heard his prayer and brought her back to life. Acts 28. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. Paul went in to someone who was sick. He prayed for him, laid his hands on him, and God heard the prayer and healed the man. The Bible tells us of people praying for healing, people praying for children, people praying for spiritual insight, people praying for God's blessings, people praying for deliverance, people praying for safe travels and forgiveness, people even praying for the dead to come back to life. And every time, God answered their prayers. You see, the Bible teaches that prayer unleashes The power of God. I am convinced that there is a power in prayer that most of us today have never experienced. Let me say that again. I am convinced that there is a power in prayer that most of us today have never experienced. Ian Bounds said this. He said prayer can do anything God can do. The pity is that we do not believe that as we ought and we do not put it to the test. And so we do not pray like we should and we do not put that prayer power to the test. John Wesley said, God will do nothing but an answer to prayer. Let me say that again. John Wesley, that, that great theologian, that great evangelist said, God will not move except in response to our prayers. And so as I hear that, and and as I read what the Bible says about prayer, that raises two questions for me. The first one is, why don't we make prayer a priority, both personally and corporately? I mean, if God moves in response to our prayers, why do we spend so little time in prayer? I mean, if the Bible is true... When it speaks about the power that comes through prayer, why do we spend so little time in prayer? But the second question is the one I want us to talk about this morning. And that is this. If it's true that God moves in response to our prayers, why is it that oftentimes, perhaps many times, our prayers aren't answered? Because I think we've probably all experienced that, haven't we? I mean, we've prayed and we've prayed... And nothing happens. We pray for someone to get healed and, and instead they die. We pray that we will get a promotion and instead we lose our job. We pray for, for a relationship and, and instead of the relationship getting better, it goes south. Now, why is that? I mean, if the Bible says ask and you will receive, If the Bible says you have not because you ask not, why is it that so often we discover the biblical truth that sometimes prayer is an answer? And that's a biblical truth. In James chapter 4, it says you ask and you do not receive. Now, let me say that again. I mean, James said you ask and you don't receive. Have you been there before? Have you prayed and you've asked God for something and you did not receive it? I mean, why is that? I mean, I don't think any of us here this morning want to get on our knees before God, get in our prayer closet with God, and ask and not receive. We ask because we want to receive. We feel like what we're praying about is vital, it's important, it's needed, and yet we don't receive it. Why? Well, I'm reminded of a story I I heard a while back about a a man who who went angrily into a hardware store where he purchased a chainsaw. and, And he took the chainsaw, he slammed it down on the counter, and he yelled at the store clerk. He said, this chainsaw is worthless. And there the chainsaw was sitting on the counter, and it was a mangled mess. It was beat up. The teeth were all broken off. I mean, the chip, the paint was chipped all off. I mean, it's obvious that this, this chainsaw had been through the, the, the mill and, and the man said it didn't work. And he said, I've been cutting with this chainsaw all day and I've hardly cut a, a handful of wood and the clerk there wanted to be gracious. He wanted to help, and, and the man had a receipt, and, and the chainsaw was brand new, even though it didn't look like it. And so the clerk said, well, let me see if I can figure out what's wrong. And, and so the clerk didn't think it would work, because this chainsaw was obviously in terrible shape, but he, he, he took the cord, and he pulled it, and And it sputtered a little bit. It coughed a little bit. And and then it started running. The motor started running. About this time, the man who had brought the chainsaw in, he jumped back. He turned white. And he said, oh, that's what that string's for. (laughs) Now, here's the point. You see, if we are using prayer in the wrong way, prayer will never be effective. If I want prayer to work, I've got to learn how to use prayer the way the Bible teaches that I need to use prayer. So this morning, what I want to share with you for the next few minutes is some some biblical truths on how you and I can pray powerful prayers. Because if your desire is to pray the type of prayers that the Bible says move mountains then there are some principles, some precepts that you and I need to put into practice in our life. Now, here's the first one. It is the most important. If I want God to answer my prayers, I've got to pray in Jesus' name. My prayers are never going to be answered unless I pray in Jesus' name. In John 14, it says this, And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. And it goes on in John 16, verse 23, and says, I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. But what does that mean? I mean, what does it mean to, to pray in Jesus' name? There are some people that believe that this is some kind of magical formula that we tack on to the end of our prayers. And, and so we pray and once we get through praying, we say those magical words in Jesus' name, amen. And somehow, some way, if we don't say the magical words in Jesus' name, then our prayers will not be answered. Well, I want you to know this morning that that is not what this means. This is not saying that we need to, to tack on this magical phrase on the end of our prayers. There are other people that say that this means that we need to pray in the character of Jesus. In other words, when we're praying in Jesus' name, we're praying in his character. We're praying like he would pray. And that's certainly true. We need to do that. But I believe that when the Bible tells us to pray in Jesus' name, it's something more simple than that. When Sherry and I got married, she took on my name. Before we got married, she was Sherry Clark. After we got married, she was Sherry Purvis. She did that because a relationship was established. We were starting a family. Now, the Bible uses various pictures to describe our relationship with Christ. But one thing is sure. The Bible makes it clear that when we become a Christian, we become a part of God's family. We establish a relationship with him. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11, it says this. We who have been made holy by Jesus now have the same father he has. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. Did you hear that? We have been made holy Through Jesus, we have the same father now he has and he calls us his brothers. In John chapter 1 verse 12, it says, Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Now here's the thing. To pray in Jesus' name means that you have a relationship with him. To pray in Jesus' name means that you are a part of his family. You're in the family. It's not a magical formula or phrase. And it's not necessarily about praying in the character and the nature of Jesus. It's all about relationship. When you receive him, you become a part of his family. Family, And because you're a part of His family, you are praying in His name. Now, how do you become a part of His family? Through believing, through being born again. The Bible says that we are born into God's family. And so here's the deal. Listen, if you've never been born into God's family, you can pray and you can pray and you can pray and you can pray, but your prayers are always going to be ineffective. But when you have a part in God's family, when you have that relationship with Him, when when you're a member of His family, then you have all the rights and privileges of family membership. That's what it talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. Listen to what it says. Yes, it is through Christ we all have the right to come to the Father in one spirit. It is through Christ that we have the right to come to the Father through the Spirit. Because of our relationship with Jesus, we're a part of God's family and, and you and I can, can cozy right up with the Father. We, we can go into his room. Uh, l- let me explain it this way. Suppose you decided that, that you wanted to leave the service this morning and drive to Washington, D.C. So, so you got out of the service this morning, you filled up your car, you started driving to Washington, D.C. And when you got there, you decided you wanted to go to the White House. And so you parked and and you went into the White House and you proceeded to make your way into President Obama's kitchen. Now, let me ask you a question. If you left here and drove to Washington, D.C., went to the White House and you went into the White House and tried to make your way into the kitchen, what would happen? They would stop you at the very least. They would probably arrest you, wouldn't they? That's what they would do to you because you're not a part of the family. But suppose your name is Natasha or Malia Obama. You are gonna walk in the front door. You're going to march right through the guards. You're going to go into the kitchen. You're going to open up the fridge. You're going to make yourself a sandwich. You're going to go to the cabinet. You're going to pull out some chips. You're going to sit there at the table and you're going to eat. And you're going to make a mess. And you're not even going to clean it up. Because you're a part of the family. You see, when you're a part of the family, you have access that other people don't have. Because you have a relationship with God through Jesus, you have a privilege that people that don't have that relationship don't have. And so if I want my prayers to be effective, the first thing I have to do is have a relationship with Jesus. I've got to pray in Jesus' name. But let's move on, because the second key is I need to live an obedient life. Listen to what it says in James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, so that you may be healed. And then it says this, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now there's two important words in that verse. The first one is the word confess, and the second is the word righteous. You see, we confess our sins, and then we pray. And then he says this, the effectual fervent, the unceasing, continual prayers of a righteous man. So we confess our sins, we become righteous, and then it says what? Our prayers are powerful and effective. So listen, here's what it says. We confess our sins. Because of that concession of sin, we become righteous before God. And once we become righteous before God, our prayers are powerful and effective. You see, unless I confess my sins, unless I deal with my sins, my prayers are going to be rendered ineffective. Psalm 66:18 18 says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now, now, we think that that word cherish there means to love, to hold on to, but that's not what it means. It just simply means to see. That's what the word means. If I see that I have sin in my heart, the Lord's not going to hear me with that sin in my heart. In other words, when I come to the realization that I have sin in my life and I don't do anything about that sin... It renders my prayers ineffective. Same thing said in Psalm, or excuse me, Isaiah 59. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not. Here, Some people have this idea that that we can live any way we choose and then pray and God's going to hear our prayers and answer our prayers. But the Bible says, the Bible says that when we sin, that sin causes God to hide his face from us and causes him to refuse to listen to us. Now don't miss that. It's not that God can't hear you. It's that God won't hear you. You see, when we are living in a state of rebellion against God, God said, okay, do it your way, live your way, but don't call on me when things go wrong. Don't call on me when life gets tough. Don't call on me when you hit rock bottom. And that's what many people do. They live their life their way, making their rules going in the direction that they choose. And then when they get in a bind, when they have a need, when they face a problem, they cry out to God and expect God to hear. But God says, I am not going to hear. So what do we need to do? We need to pray like David did. Search me, God. Know my heart. Try me and see if there is any unclean thing within me. Search me, God. Try me and see if there's any unclean thing within me. When's the last time you did that? When you asked God to just go through you with a microscope and show you anything that was unclean and displeasing to him. Now, how do we know what is unclean and displeasing? God's word. God's word. I'm sure all of you have heard about the Duck Dynasty controversy going on. Now, let me just say that that what Phil said in, in a men's magazine, and that's what GQ is, it's Gentleman's Quarterly, what he said was crude. It was crude. But what he said was biblical. It was biblical. And he did not point out one group, He pointed out a variety of sins that affect many of us today. And so he was speaking truth. Now, did he do it in the wisest of ways? Probably not. Could he have used some some better language in describing his feelings on the issue? Probably so. But the fact of the matter is, what he was saying is, this book is my guide. And let me tell you, when you choose to have any guide other than this book and you try to write the rules, don't call upon God when you hit bottom because he's going to refuse to hear. Third thing, we pray in Jesus' name, we live a life of obedience, then we seek God's will. 1 John five fourteen and 15 says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, listen to that phrase, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. Now, back in the 50s, there was a show, Father Knows Best. Let me ask you a question. How many of you remember that show? I remember it from reruns. Just stating a fact, it it, it quit airing in 1960. That was the year I was born. But I saw the show on reruns. Father knows best. When we pray to our Heavenly Father, we should pray with the understanding that our Heavenly Father knows best. You see, the prayer of a believer should never be about bending God's will to fit our will the prayer of a believer is not about talking God into doing something that God doesn't want to do the prayer of a believer is all about seeking to discover the will of God in every situation of life that's the prayer of a believer You see, when we pray, we should seek what God wants. There's an example in the Bible of a king who prayed against God's will. God told the king that he was going to die, that he needed to get his affairs in order. That was God's will. God was ready to take him on to glory and, and give him a, a, an incredible reward because he had been a godly king, but he prayed. He got in sackcloth, and I mean, he just mourned, and, and he cried. And, and God, God granted his request to give him a longer life, gave him some more years. And you know what happened? That crazy king absolutely messed up his life. Messed it up. Here was a king that had an incredible reputation up to that point. But he prayed and prayed and prayed against God's will. God granted his request. But it didn't turn out the way he wanted. You see, our desire should always be to seek God's will when we pray. Listen to what it says in James chapter 4. When you ask, you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You see, self-centered prayers, if they are answered, typically aren't going to be the answers we want. And many times when they're self-centered, God said he's not going to answer. And trust me, when we come to that point where we so trust the Father that we're willing to trust His will regardless, the Father loves us so much that He's always going to do better for us than we could ever imagine on our own. It may not be what we think. It may not be what we initially hope. But when in the end, our desire is to yield to His will, it's always going to be better. Jesus told us a story in Matthew 7 when he was giving us that famous Sermon on the Mount. And he said this, he said, which of you, if his son asked for bread, will give him a stone? I mean, that would be a cruel father, wouldn't it? Son comes and says, can I have some bread? Sure, son, here. And the father gives him a stone and the son bites into the stone, breaks his tooth. And the father's going, got you. Fathers wouldn't do that. And then he said, or if he asked for fish, we'll give him a snake. And then Jesus said, if you then, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You you see, what what God's Word is saying, what Jesus is saying is, God, God wants to bless your life. He wants to give you good things, but in the end, in the end, as we pray, we need to come to that point that it's not about trying to convince God to do what we want. It's about yielding ourselves to God's will. That's why David said in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, when my delight is in the Lord, what happens? What happens? Man, my desires change. The things that I long for change. My my wants, my wishes change. And so I seek God's will. Number four, work on relationships. Work on relationships. If I want to pray powerful prayers, I need to work on my relationships. Mark 11 verse 25 says it this way. and, And when you stand praying... If you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now, do you get the gist of what the gist of what um, Jesus is saying there? He is saying that when when I have grudges, when I have bitterness, when when I have unforgiveness toward others, that's going to affect, it's going to hinder my prayers to God. You see. God created us for relationship in two ways. He, he created us for a vertical relationship with himself, but then he also created us for horizontal relationships with other people. And And, and human beings were created with a need for both those relationships. Every man and every woman who was ever born needs that relationship with God. We're created for that, but... But no man is an island and God also created us for relationship with others. Whoever we may be and whatever our personality may be, we need other people. And and what God says is this, when our relationships with others, when our horizontal relationships are out of kilter, it affects the vertical relationship. And we need to understand that because all too often, All too often, we look at our relationships as something to casually throw away, don't we? I I mean, when when something goes awry with someone else, what do we do? Well, forget them. and, And we move on. People do that with churches. People do that with jobs. People do that with families. People do that with friends. Something happens. The relationship is strained. And we say, forget that. And God says, but you don't understand. You can't forget it. You can't just have that bitterness, have that unforgiveness and and move on with your life without it affecting your relationship with me. And, And understand, the Bible says that that not only applies to how we We're in relationship with strangers and co-workers and friends. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Wow! Men, we are told that our prayers can be hindered when our relationship with our wives are not what it needs to be. Now, women, does that take you off the hook? I don't think so because I believe that, you know, we can paraphrase that and say, in wives, when you're not doing this, it's going to affect your prayers. And I think we can paraphrase it and say, and children, it's going to affect your prayers. You see, the point is, if I want my prayers to be effective, I've got to work on my relationships. I want to give you two more things quickly. We're going to wrap this up. The fifth thing I need to do is pray in faith. Matthew 21 says this. I tell you the truth. If you have faith, you do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe... You will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Wow! Every time I read that passage, it blows my mind. I don't know about you, but I mean, I read that passage, I go, wow, pray in a mountain, be cast into the sea? That's a powerful prayer. James said it this way in James 1. He, he said, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generally to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And so we speak in the area of wisdom, but we can talk about any prayer that we pray. And then he says this, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. You see, our doubts, our lack of faith, hinder our prayers. John Bisano said it this way, faith is not believing God. Faith is believing God will. Did you get that? Faith is not believing God can. Faith is believing God will. I mean, I hear, I I don't know a Christian, when you ask him, do you believe God can? Oh, yes, preacher. I believe God can. Well, do you believe God will? Well, see, there's a big difference, isn't there? There's a big difference between believing God can. I mean, if we are theologically sound and we know that God is sovereign over all, he's the all-powerful God, then we must believe that God can do anything God wants to do, right? The question is never about God's ability. It's never. Faith is not believing God can, it's believing God will. So how do we increase our faith? Well, I believe the way that we increase our faith so we can pray in faith is we've got to put ourselves in places where we have to trust God to work. Let me say that again. If I want God to increase my faith so that I can pray in faith, then I've got to put myself in places where I'm going to have to trust God to work. It's kind of like Peter when he said to Jesus, if that's really you... Tell me to come out on the water. Jesus was standing there in the storm on the water. And he said, come on out. It's pretty nice out here. And Peter took a deep breath. And I believe he was scared to death. But what did he do? He got out of the boat. You see, faith is getting out of the boat. Faith doesn't mean that you're not fearful. Faith doesn't mean you're not afraid. Faith doesn't even mean that you don't have doubts and questions. Am I going to drown or not? No. Faith is the willingness to step out of the boat and say, God, if you don't show up, I'm going to fail. God, if you don't show up, I'm going to die. God, if you don't show up, I'm going to hit rock bottom we got to do that. I mean, we've got to get to that point where we, we quit playing it safe. We dive into the deep end of the pool. And we trust God. Now I want to give you one more key. And I just want to briefly give this to you, because we've talked about this several times over the last couple of or the last several weeks, and some of you are going, "Goodness, gracious, He's always bringing this up. But, but as I was studying and preparing, God just clearly spoke to me and, and gave me this. You see, if, if I want to pray powerful prayers, I've got to come to the point that I give generously. I, I li- listen to what it says in Proverbs 21: "If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry. And not be answered. Wow. If you shut your ears to the cries of the poor. Then when you have a need and you cry out for help. You're not going to get an answer. You see a lack of generosity toward those that we're able to help. Will hinder the effectiveness of our prayers. Now let me ask you a question. And I don't want you to raise your hand, I don't want you to shake your head, I just want you to think. Are your prayers being answered? I mean, as you pray, do you see your prayers being answered like the examples in this book? Because if God doesn't change, and if His Word is timeless, and the principles that the Word teaches on prayer are timeless, then then we should be seeing answers to prayer like the people saw in this book that we call holy. And so if, if I'm praying and, and I'm not seeing those kinds of answers, I need to ask myself why. Now for some of us, the reasons are obvious. For some of us, we, we don't have a relationship with Him We're not praying in his name, and and we're praying and praying and praying and going, wow, it doesn't seem like my prayers go any further than the the ceiling, or they don't even go that far. And, And I'm wondering why. Well, the reason is just like you can't go into the president's kitchen. You don't have a relationship. And if you're going to begin to pray effective prayers, you've got to have a relationship. For others of us, it may be that we're not living obedient lives. And we know, we know that there's an area of our life that's disobedient, is glaring to us. And and perhaps we've been talked about that area with someone who loves us, who, who is more spiritually mature than we are and they've talked to us about it they've shown us what God's word has said about it and we say things like this I know but and when we didn't say I know I've got to confess it and we confess it right then but rather we say I know but and we give excuses we're not living obedient lives and God's not going to hear our prayers and we could go on down the list can't we we may not be seeking god's will we may not be praying in faith we may not be giving generously i mean the list can go on and on and on but here's what i know i want to experience the supernatural power of prayer in my life i i want to be able to pray the kind of prayers that move mountains i i I want to I want to pray and see the miraculous happen. And and I'm I'm not seeking the miraculous. I'm seeking God. And I know that with God, God's a supernatural, miraculous God. And miracles come. And I've got to be honest with you. There have been times in my life where I've seen that here. And I've seen that here. but, But if I'm honest, I have to say to you... That's not what I'm experiencing every day. And yet when I read the Bible, it seems to indicate that I can experience that if I am willing to pray the way the Bible teaches me to pray. And so if I'm not experiencing that, what it means is there's one of those areas in my life that men are just not in alignment with what God's word says. So here's what I want you to do. If you're like me and you say, man, I, I want that answered prayer and I, I need that answered prayer. But I'm not experiencing it. Then you've got to find out why. And then you pray and pray and pray without ceasing. Regardless of whether the answers come in your timing or not, you pray, you believe, you trust, you do what God says and leave the rest to Him. And God will do what God says He'll do. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed. I want to deal with the first two here. Because I believe these first two really hit all the rest. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Are you a member of his family? Have you been born again? Has God's spirit come to live in you? If you're here and and you can't say beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have been born again, God's spirit has come into you and, and made you a part of God's family then that's the most important thing that you need to do this morning. You need to humble yourself before God, confess your sin, accept his forgiveness that is offered through the cross, and give your life to him. Some of you are believers, and you can go back to the time when you became a new person, you became a part of God's family, but you are living in disobedience. And that's a dangerous place. What you need to do today is quit making excuses, quit putting it off. You need to confess your sin so that you can become righteous before God, so that your prayers will become powerful and effective. Now, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to this morning, I want you to pray this prayer to him right now. Dear God, please forgive me. I have lived life my way. I don't want to anymore. I know you love me. I know you died on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me. This morning, I'm giving my life to you. Come into my heart Take control of my life and make me a new person, I pray. Amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. And if you're here and you're a believer, but you've got that undealt with sin in your life, I want to encourage you right now. Pray this prayer Dear God, please forgive me for my rebellion. This morning, I confess, you fill in the blank, I confess. Forgive me. I'm turning from my sin. I want to live in obedience to you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. And thank you for saving me. Amen. And I want to share three things with you before we go into our time of offering. Pastor David talked about a little bit earlier about the decision card on the back. If you're here and you prayed today to become a follower of Jesus, please let us know. If you meant it, let us know that you really meant it. If you're here and, and you are a believer, you've given your life to Jesus and you've never been baptized by immersion... As a believer, we'd like to give you the opportunity to to experience something pretty special. Um, if we have some that need to, we're going to do a baptismal service on Christmas Eve. And so, if you're here and you haven't been baptized by immersion and you would like to, then check that box. I need to be baptized, and just put on there Christmas Eve, and we'll we'll contact you tomorrow. Set that up. And one final thing in in the um, slots in the seats, you will find a special offering envelope. Uh, this is an offering envelope that, that we use a couple of times a year at Easter and at Christmas that we encourage you to, to give over and above to our missions um, offering that helps us support missions all around the world. And so if you want to remember Jesus, we are, after all, celebrating his birthday at Christmas, and you want to give a special gift for missions at Christmas time. put it in this envelope, and then put that in as the offering um, plates are passed in just a moment. Well, let me pray, and then our ushers are going to come forward, okay, Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that is true. I thank you for those who make decisions today now, and I pray. That those decisions will be genuine and we will follow through with them, Lord God. As we give this morning, use what we give to bring glory and honor to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.